us are going over to Alabama to mourn the loss of a friend of ours who has even stood behind this book mourn and proclaimed the word of God before Brother Mark Keenum. And uh, as we as we mourn with his family, but as also we celebrate the reality today of where he finds himself, we truly believe based on the testimony of the life that he spoke, but also the life that he lived as well. What a wonderful blessing it was to know Brother Mark Keenum. And I got to thinking, though, there are some gloomy days for Sister Jan right now. And uh, surely we should sing softly through the gloom. But may we also realize that for Brother Mark, we get to sing where she's craving for mercy, but we sing in triumph for the tomb. And I love how the author of that song put that right together, how he put both the gloom that sometimes we must sing with as we sing softly through it, through the gloom, but also we sing in triumph for the tomb. Sometimes people tell me that fear and faith don't make abide in the same place at the same time, and I find that to be one of the greatest follies in the world, because I don't know about y'all, there's been times it was scary to death, it's scary to death, and yet the faith of God, that gift of God that was given to us, is even somehow abiding at the same time, it seems as if they're warring, and sometimes that's exactly as it is, and may we always be, may we be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, even as the word of God demands, may we learn that there are times where we need to speak softly through the gloom, and yet sing in triumph for the tomb. May we know which one to apply when. And may we also know that sometimes those are going to exist at the same time together. Sometimes it's going to be difficult to know what to do. Just that morning, this morning, that caught my attention largely as we sang Jesus Saves. If you will, of course, I hope you have already found yourself in Galatians in chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, I want to remind everyone that what we have begun doing as of last week, and I even went back and counted some of the congregational readings, is we have decided to take on the challenge of seeing how many chapters we can read in the book of Galatians. So if you read chapter 2 this week, however many number of times, that's great. There's a piece of paper in the back on that table. You can go and write down how many times you read Galatians chapter 2. Or if you read the whole book of Galatians, you can write down that six chapters, write six chapters. Uh, so we're trying to make that challenge. I don't even know what the numbers are going to be yet. I have a figure in mind I would love for us to hit in the book of Galatians, but it's quite a challenge, so I'm going to hold off and see where we are next week. Then I'll tell you the challenge of it. But again, this is not just a glorifying the number of chapters we can read, but just let this begin to sink into us. And I find, I don't know about y'all, every now and then it's good to have a challenge. It's good to have a calculation of what the challenge is. A milestone, a marker of understanding. Are we disciplining ourselves? This could be a good thing. It could be used wrong, but let us use it instead for good. But this morning we're going to count for each of us reading chapter 2 because we're going to read the whole of chapter 2 before we go further this morning. In Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or have run in vain. But neither Titus who was with me being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we gave place by subjection. No, not for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you, but of these who seemed to be someone, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me, 
but contrariwise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Verse 10, only they would that we should remember the poor, and the same, the same which I was also forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came, came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are, by Jew, who are Jews by nature, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray, especially as we have read this text, we pray that you would open our eyes to see it, open our ears to hear it. And Father, open our hearts to receive it, that it would be engrafted into us by the means of your spirit, that God, it would bring forth the fruit in its due season. We pray for any who have never been born again. We pray that this morning would be the morning that they hear your word, that they repent and trust only in you, O God. Father, we pray that they would that we would just grow them up in you, O oh God, as Father, as much as we possibly can. We only come to you seeking that you save the lost and seeking that you would use us to teach them all things whatsoever you have commanded us to do, O oh God. Father, we pray that even with this text, you put that largely in our hearts and our minds and, and just in our drive this morning, God, as we seek to do these things, O oh God. We pray this illumination that would come only from you, O oh God. Father, we pray again that we would rest and trust in you, that you feed your lambs and feed your sheep as only you can pray all these things in thy son, Jesus Christ, most holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen. So this morning I happened to notice 
that uh, a pastor friend of mine is also preaching through the book of Galatians. And I thought, he's a pretty good preacher. I'll go check and see what he's done. I didn't get to listen to any of it, but I went to see how did he break it down. And I got really excited because he broke chapter 2 the same way I did. And then I noticed he spent two weeks in the second half of it. And then all of a sudden I noticed that he took two weeks on one verse. So I'm here to tell you that he's got 30 years experience on Mason. We're not going to do that. We're not going to take quite that same level. But this morning I do want us to look at verse 10, and I, I or at verses 1 through 10, Lord willing, this morning. And I've been reflecting on the fact that, that Brother Aubrey is preaching through this book as well, and that there are other men that are preaching through this book that I had no clue about. And what a wonderful blessing that it is, that as we have talked about how this is written to the churches of Galatia, well, he's also in the area of West Georgia. So all of a sudden, it feels like the Lord has a message for the people of West Georgia in the book of Galatians. And I, I submit to you that this book has been a wonderful transforming factor even in my life to renew myself in the book of Galatians. I had previously taught through the book of Galatians as a Sunday school teacher, and yet I seem to have forgotten everything about it. And what a wonderful blessing it is with fresh eyes and with freshness of spirit of God to come to a passage and let him illuminate us. So I encourage you, go find Brother Aubrey's sermons. They're probably a whole lot better than mine. You'll probably get something from here and something from his. So I would encourage you to use resources that are at your disposal for wisdom. Here in verse 1, we see it says, Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. One thing that we always note about Paul is he never seems to be traveling alone. Paul is always traveling with a companion. And a lot of times it seems to be the unspoken companion was Luke. We find in the book of Acts that Luke seems to have been present with Paul for a lot of the journey. It seems that Luke was present with Jesus at some point for a lot of the journey. So Luke has been following along. And Paul always has these people with him. And Barnabas, the son of encouragement, as he is often known as, is traveling with Paul. And Titus, the other one that you don't find Titus mentioned that much in the book of Acts. But Titus is traveling with him. We know from the book of Titus that Titus was one of Paul's closest companions. Beloved, one thing I love about gospel ministry is there needs to be some good companions. I have good friends and I'm trying to build better friendships with these people. I got a friend this morning that's preaching in view of a call. Y'all just pray for him this morning. And I ask y'all to pray, lift him and his family up in prayer as he's preaching in view of a call to take this church. And I ask y'all to pray for this church. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Please don't ask me. But I'm going to ask y'all to pray for that man this morning. I know he's probably standing up proclaiming the word of God right now. He's a dear friend of mine. I've learned to love him. There's other brothers that I have learned to love. There are you all that I have learned to love. Some of you I've only been living life with for a short season. Others of you I've been around all my life. And some of you, it's getting a really long time, but I don't want to talk about how long I've known some of you now. Because it's getting longer and longer, and I love the fact that we get to live life together. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. Beloved, we need to have solid gospel-based friendships, even as we walk in the course of this world. None of us are alone. We often talk about it, especially as we were walking through the book of Ephesians, the need for church membership, that that is a big deal. That's not a light matter. We're even reviewing the Constitution here. We're even making some changes to the church Constitution. If you happen to notice, most of you had a copy of it on your pew because there's some language that we need to look into. We need to be better stewards of what we're doing. I'm not saying what we've been doing is bad. I'm just saying we can take another faithful step. We can look at this and understand that the lifeblood of the church happens to be its membership. No matter how small or large it may be, it is something that matters. And for generations, it's just been something. I was sharing the story that back in 2011, 2012 or so, I started going through Pilgrim Rest Church Minutes, and nobody had updated the roles since the 70s. 
70s, I believe it was. And we didn't know who members were. We didn't know who people were. There was an entire family. Nobody knew. I went around to every member that had been here in the time period that they joined. And since then, nobody knew who these people were. Beloved, never let that be us. Let us always know who is among us. Let us always care for those that are among us. When others have gone astray, let us say that even as it says, bring them in, bring them in, bring the wandering ones to Jesus. And then it says, bring the lost ones to Jesus. Beloved, there are some times that somebody is wandering from God. We need to be bringing them back into the fold as much as we can. There are some times that somebody is just plain lost. We need to be bringing them into the fold. We need to be caring about other people, even as Paul is so kind as to mention Barnabas and Titus are also with him. He says in verse 2, And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Do y'all know that that's even something that Jesus seemed to have embarked in his ministry? That Jesus would go to somebody or somebody would come to him in the night that you remember Nicodemus came to him at night and came to him in secrecy so that it wouldn't be made a big deal. Nicodemus was somebody that had heard some of the things of Jesus. He knew he was a ruler over Israel. If anybody knew the word of God, if anybody knew what the Old Testament was saying, it would have been Nicodemus. And yet he's coming to this teacher at night in order to know him. Do y'all know that's exactly the way that we need to be with some people Sometimes is we need to do things and we need to go to people such as, as it is in private so as not to run in vain because sometimes we're just like if God would invite somebody big if God would invite somebody that is of a great reputation if God would just save somebody that is of a great reputation and bring them in then it could be a wondrous thing beloved that can be one of the greatest follies that there is we're not looking for the big names of this world instead we're just looking for those that are lost those that are wondering these are the ones that we are seeking we're not going to people in order to build up a reputation. We're not seeking to build up our reputation. Somebody wisely put it this way and said, don't determine what your church's reputation is yourself. That's what other people determine about you. Don't be so worried about those things. Let God build that image. Now there's an image that is to be held. We're doing things to be faithful. We're looking at the physical facilities that we have and saying, what is the best use of those? We need to be good stewards of what we have. But as far as the reputation out in the rest of the world, let God be the one that determines that. But let us be faithfully seeking to do what God would have us to do. Paul, though he is the greatest apostle that most of us would talk about, he is the one that has the greatest reputation. But there's also James and, and John and Peter over there that are also of great reputation, and Paul just doesn't care. Paul's going to them privately. Paul's going to them so to make sure that he has not run in vain. Paul is very attentive to the fact that he has to present himself humbly. When we look to the rest of the church, to the rest of the world, is the church in the present world, are we presenting ourselves humbly or arrogantly? So many times I see that some of the best preachers and some of the best pastors I know is they just have an arrogance about them so many times. And that saddens me because I'm like, your brother, you're great. But why is your attitude so bad? Why is your attitude so arrogant? And then I've been watching in the last several years, maybe just getting to know men better. I don't know what it is, but in the passage of time, I've gotten to watch several of these men as they've grown more humble over the years. Men that I thought that were these great titans, I've seen their humility presented instead. Men that were of a great reputation in my mind, I see them in their great humility presenting themselves. And what a wonderful blessing that is. One of my favorite preachers in the world I've ever heard is Brother Tracy Collins. Uh, some of y'all were with him one morning a, a couple years ago. He, he showed up here. We were going to have Brother Tracy preach for us. And 
that is that is one of the most humble preachers I've ever met in my life. Now he's what I would call a powerful preacher. He's he's involved. He's absolutely he's involved in the service. And if you're sitting on a pew, he's going to grab on your shoulder. He's going to press down. He is an active preacher, but he's also one of the most humble men I've ever met in my life. Paul, though he had the greatest of reputation probably among the apostles, even in his generation, is saying, I went to them in secret lest it would be in vain. Beloved, that's the way that we present ourselves. It's not arrogantly. The church has done some great things in its time, especially here in America, but that seems to be fading. And perhaps some of it is, is that ostentatious display of attitude that we have shown from the church. That when the church goes out to eat on Sundays, y'all heard me talk about that problem several times, that when the church goes out to eat on Sundays, they're the worst people. They tip the legs. They're the arrogant. They're the mean ones. They're just the vilest of people that are seen out in the battle on Sundays after they've just come from the house of God. And they're presenting themselves that way. Beloved, there is a need for us to be presenting ourselves humbly and intentionally because I submit to you that humbleness of spirit does not come unintentionally. Humbleness is something that you're going to have to strive for, not a false humility of saying, oh, look at how humble I am. Look at how humble I am. No, it is a humility that is going to have to come in time. It is a humility that's going to have to go. We were singing about different lyrics last night and how sometimes that when we're in the blue, the worship hymnal, for those of us that grew up in the red, the church hymnal, the lyrics change all of a sudden. And it's a different word than what we were used to growing up. And we were talking about, there's one of them that says, and though, such a worm as I. And then in the blue, the worship hymnal, it says, such a sinner as I. And I'm like, I like both of them. I like the reality that we're sinners. I like the reality that we're just worms, that we're nothing more than that. Beloved, when we're confronted with the reality of the gospel that Paul is proclaiming here, we are humbled by it. We are never bolstered up in it. We are never built up by it. Instead, we're broken down at the cross and realizing that he is the only means and the only hope of salvation that we have. Perhaps the churches of Galatia were having someone of a reputation for growing. This would have been an exciting movement to see and yet Paul is ensuring that things are done with this level of humility that is presented here in verse 2. In verse 3 it says, but neither Titus who was with me being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised and that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. And again, I don't have my timeline perfectly memorized here, but in the book of Acts, if you're reading and studying it there, and I can't remember if it was before this trip that Paul is mentioning or if he had this problem happen several times, but over there he got accused of bringing somebody into the temple that was not supposed to be, that somebody such as Titus that was an uncircumcised, he was an uncircumcised Gentile. He had no business being in there. He was a Greek. He had no business being in the temple of God. Paul was not welcome to bring him into those quarters, and yet he never did bring him into those quarters as we read in the word of God. And yet he still got accused of it. Perhaps it was Timothy who actually had a Greek father and then a Jewish mother. Perhaps it was him, but we don't know who it was. But either way, we know that Paul was always perfectly honoring the law of God. Paul never dishonored the law of God. He never dishonored the law of the Jews. He always honored it and he was always cautious with it. But even as much as he sought to honor it, when Titus over here, who was a Greek and who had not been circumcised, though he was being compelled, Paul said, no, we shall not do this thing. Titus was not going to give in to the circumcision because it says, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in. 
It was because of brothers, of false brothers and unawares brought in that sometimes it creeps in unbelievers into the church. And even though they might be a member on the church world, that might be the case is they're false brethren. They're not true brethren. They're not truly existing in the things of God. And they creep into the church unawares. I don't know about y'all, but that word unawares frightens me half to death. When it says unawares, that means somebody might slip into here and we've not been made aware of them. But we had better know what the gospel proclaims. Never was the gospel that Paul was proclaiming saying that you must be circumcised. That was a falseness that was brought in. They were coming out privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful liberty there is in the spirit of the Lord. I've heard so many people talk about there's no liberty. There's no liberty. I've heard in churches people talk about there's no liberty. And I'm like, well, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Is that not exactly what the Bible says? Is there something in your life that is constraining you so that Christ is not present with you? Beloved, we should know that that is one of the greatest joys that we have is freedom from sin. That is the greatest of freedoms that we have is that we have been made free from sin in Christ Jesus. That is the liberty that we have. But when we begin to add things such as circumcision unto that, that is bringing us back into bondage. That is bringing us under the bondage of the law. In all of it, the law can never save anybody. And we're going to get into that. Obviously, in the book of Galatians, that's going to be covered many of times in multiple ways. But we're never able to be saved by the law. Never was the law able to save. Not one single soul. No, the law was just meant to be lived. And every one of us, when we compare our lives to the law, there's nothing we can do. You can wear a suit and tie. Most of y'all don't. As a matter of fact, I seem to be the only one that usually ever shows up in a suit and tie. Do y'all know I'm just perfectly fine with that? It doesn't bother me a bit. I still put it on. And the main reason I put a suit and tie on is because that's the custom of preachers in this area. And I know that that relays to me certain benefits that if I'm not in a suit, that it does not relay unto me. But I know of other pastors that intentionally will preach in blue jeans. And y'all are like, oh, why would anybody preach in blue jeans? And I used to be in that camp until I figured out because they have a certain audience sometimes that they can reach. And as crazy as it is, blue jeans instead of a suit might help them to reach it. I know that seems crazy. But if the Lord's going to use somebody wearing blue jeans to reach them, you go ahead and wear blue jeans. i got a dear friend of mine that he decides to wear flip-flops. I do not understand why the man wears blue jeans and flip-flops behind the pulpit. I'll never understand it. But he does. When he's out and about at service at Union Campground, he's going to be wearing flip-flops. It makes no sense to me. But the brother's got one of the kindest spirits I've ever met in my life. I can focus in on something like what the man is wearing and think it to be a great issue because to me, no self-respecting man, and I'm sorry if any of you follow this category, but no self-respecting man would ever wear flip-flops in public. I just don't understand it. I don't understand why anybody would do it. And as for me, it's just not going to happen. But the moment that I make that a gospel issue, the moment that I say you cannot be wearing those things, the moment that I say you cannot wear flip-flops in public or else you're discredited, I've gone above and beyond. Ms. Terry and I have found of people going around to different campuses and saying, you must be wearing this, and you can't wear this, and you can't wear that. And I just look in the Bible, and I'm like, tell me in the New Testament where it stands that you cannot wear that. I find, particularly in the New Testament, under the law that you and I stand under, under the codes and things that we stand under, I, say that it, I see that it says we must be dressed in modest apparel, that modest is highest. You've got to figure out what modest is. I've seen a lot of blue jeans and a lot of, uh, I've seen a lot of sweatpants, a lot of other things that have been worn that are a lot more modest than any dress I've ever seen in my life when it comes to ladies' apparel. And I don't know why the ladies always seem to be getting on through so much. And the men come in here just as shabby as someone. They come in here as shabby as anything. They come in here just as grotesque as anything and as immodest as anything. Beloved, it is an, a standard that needs to be held on both sides that when the Word of God speaks, that's what we listen to. I don't say you must wear this or you must wear that. No, when the gospel speaks, that's what we listen to. 
Titus did not need to be circumcised. Was it the custom of the day? Absolutely. Was it the custom of most of the people that even Paul was probably going to be around? Absolutely. But in order to require it as a means of salvation, that's where it crossed the line. Beloved, Paul is instructing us. Paul has not gotten to the fullness of the problem with the church of Galatia yet. It's, it's almost like he's building it up and he's building it up and he's going to crescendo it into about chapter 3 when we finally figure out what the problem in Galatia is. We've just been building up to it and then in chapter 3, it all falls. And then in chapter 4, it resolves itself. And then in chapter 5 and 6, we figure out how we've got to live our lives. It's a wonderful book if you've been reading it. But even still, make, uh, let us make sure that we're not leading others into bondage, that Christ would be requiring something that they do not require, that the gospel does not require, that we require something that doesn't, if I can speak. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. When we have false teachings creep in, we deal with them swiftly and succinctly, and we make sure that they are ended as swiftly as possible. Beloved, you all are watchmen on the walls. I don't mean that just to the men. I mean that to every <clears throat> member of this, of Shedron Baptist Church, that we are watchmen on the walls, that we have to be watching, we have to be paying attention to those things that creep in because they creep in unawares, and we have to be mindful of them. In verse 6 it says, But... Of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. If we look just at that in the parentheses right there, and we look to what Paul is saying there, ought we not to be the same way? Ought we not to look at these and say just because they are of a reputation does not mean that we should respect them any more or any less? This week I got sent a video by somebody that has largely been disgraced in the church environment. And largely, I need to be cautious when I listen to this person. But do you know what I've learned about this person? Just because I know his reputation and I know the way that he is, and I would not ever want to be a member of his church, and I would not recommend him to anybody, he can still say some good things. But that's true on the opposite side as well, is that when we go to somebody that is of good reputation, y'all will hear me say the, the briefing with Albert Moeller, that is a Monday through Friday program, and it goes except for two months out of the year, he takes off July and he takes off December, but otherwise the other 10 months of the year, Monday through Friday, unless he's had COVID, he's going to be on there. And he's going to be telling you all those things. If I purport to you, Al Mohler, who I think is one of the greatest theological minds of our days, if I purport to you that it's on the basis of who he is, on the basis of the office he holds, all of these things are contrary to what the word of Paul says, of what Paul says to us and the word of God is speaking to us. If I purport to you, Albert Mohler, just because I like his reputation, I've done wrong. But if I say to you, he's a man that says a lot of wise things. He's a man that lives according to the gospel. That's what we must be promoting. I never want to promote to you the office that he holds, but instead to promote to you the message that he proclaims. May we always be mindful of that, not to be looking to the office, though perhaps certain offices deserve respect. Certain offices deserve that it should be a person of a right reputation. All these things remain true, but let it never be the office that we let people get away with stuff. The Southern Baptist Convention meets this week. And they're having to deal with some of the things. I don't know if any of you follow it. We're not a member of the Southern Baptist Convention in any means, but they're close, they're close to us. So I try to pay attention to what's going on. When they see Baptists down on the side of the road, do they think we're a Southern Baptist Church? Do they think we've got the same problems that the Southern Baptists have? We don't have those same problems. But it might be that somebody associates some of those things. Sometimes we need to be aware 
of what is out there in the rest of the world. They're having to deal with some of these things and say, this is what the word of God proclaims, and this is the line that we're going to stand on. It's caused an interruption in the last couple of weeks because the Southern Baptist Convention has said, we've got some problems we're going to step up and deal with, and we're going to disfellowship this one particular church because they're allowing something that is directly against us. And we share some of the same verbiage with them that we don't allow. We're not going to allow a woman to be nominated and put in and ordained as a pastor in this congregation. We will not allow it. I will be going out of these doors and from the membership of this congregation before that is allowed. And the Southern Baptist Convention is currently in the process this week of disfellowshipping from somebody. And they're making a big deal of it. Nobody, it seems to be to me, in the convention is making a big deal of it other than the church that is being disfellowshipped. And I just want to say, if you would just listen and obey and go according to what you've agreed to, we wouldn't have this problem. Beloved, it's when we begin to add things to the Word of God and to take away things from the Word of God. If we stay on the line, we'll never go wrong. But where that church has gone wrong is they've done some wonderful things. That church continues to do some wonderful things, but they've gone wrong on this issue, and I would not be a member of it. And I think that they need to be disfellowshipped. If I was part of the Southern Baptist, I would be one of the voices saying, we need to disfellowship from them. But can I tell you, as much as they're dealing with that issue, there's other issues that need to be dealt with. There's been some of the high leadership, even in that organization, that needs to be dealt with. They've allowed sin to go on that didn't need to go on. Beloved, as loud as we are about one sin, we need to be loud against the other sins. But let us make sure that it is sinfulness. Let us make sure that there is line, because there are times that we get all up in a jam about something that just doesn't matter. Y'all didn't fire me last week after we come in last Saturday and moved all the pews around. I'm so thankful. Some people would have gotten fired for that. I'm telling you, y'all think I'm crazy. Some pastors would have gotten fired for that because it's an issue that has become a traditional thing. I laugh at these churches, but they do it. This is one reason we keep the table always ready in communion is because I have a personal preference, and it is a personal preference for mine. Y'all correct me if I'm wrong. I don't like the flower displays and everything else that everybody else puts on the communion table. I just don't like it. I don't think that it needs to happen. That's one reason we keep the table ready as for communion, that communion would always be in mind, that when we're gathering, we need to know there is some symbolism that is here. Now, y'all correct me if I ever make too much of that symbolism. If I ever say that we can never have anything else on this table, well, that just might be, that just might be false. If I say this absolutely always has to be said or we're not having true service, if for some reason we're having a funeral service in this building and we have to move this table as we would, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. That's a gospel issue. Beloved, I've gone in wrong. Y'all need to correct me. And y'all think, I, I know these things sound crazy. These are problems that churches are facing each and every single day. Requirements that we put on top of the Word of God that seemingly have become the Word of God themselves because somebody in our life said it. There was a time to where if my great-grandfather said it, his offspring, they listened to it lock, stock, and barrel. Now, I never met the man. I don't know. I don't know. I've only heard his voice one time on a recording in my life. don't know anything else hardly about that man. But I knew some people in my family that if it was something that L.A. Shed had said, oh, it was the gospel. You took it to the bank no matter what it was. And there was probably wisdom in something he was saying, but it was wisdom in his generation. That the wisdom in the newer generation, it may have had to have been something that had to change a little bit because it was not a gospel issue. Let us always make sure that when we're in agreement with people, when we're addressing issues in this church, that we're doing it from a gospel perspective. I like the communion table a certain way, but let me never raise that to the issue of a matter of salvation in somebody's life. Let us be greatly cautious in these things. It says except with no man's person, for they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. 
Paul is meeting with them in Jerusalem, the big heads of the church of their time. And it says, he's, they've added nothing to me, but contrariwise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of church fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. The church hands had some questions for these men. The Peter, James, and John, they had some questions for, for Paul and Barnabas. After 14 years, Peter had already met with him. We discovered that in chapter 1, but this is a meeting that has happened 14 years afterward, and they have some questions about it. Can I tell you that's not wrong? Can I tell you that sometimes I need to be challenged and I need to be around men that are, I respect in my life and I come to, and they might be reaching a little bit different audience? Some people don't understand me and the King James. I've had some people that look at me with absolute hatred in their eyes for the fact that I use the King James. Do you know why I use the King James? Because I'm not going to tell you that it's the only version whereby somebody can be saved. That's absolute folly. And I will tell you that in a heartbeat, that it is absolute folly if you think that the King James is the only version under which somebody can get saved. And i got men in my life I respect and believe that. But either way, that is adding unto, that is adding something above what the Word of God teaches. But it's on the other side, too, that men that I stand by, and I said, when I told them one time that we were adopting the language, that we were going to use the King James for the purpose of preaching and teaching, one of them looked at me with absolute hatred in his eyes. And I'm like, dear brother, would you see that it might be that I need to go preach under the King James folks with the King James so that maybe they'll hear me, that they're not going to listen to me if I pick up the ESV and preach out of it? I have no problem with somebody picking up the ESV and preaching out of it. It's not for me. I'm going to continue to use the King James. I might have a different audience to reach than what that dear brother has to reach. And do y'all know that it'll be okay? Peter, James, and John, as mighty as they were, needed to realize, and I, I say that with respect. I don't say that in a mean tense of tone. I mean that those men were mighty in the early church, and they were known as being mighty and for a reason. They were men that had been called special by Christ. They had walked with him. They were worthy of honor, surely to be known. But so was Paul. Paul was being used of him. Beloved, you may be able to reach somebody different than what the way that I'm able to reach somebody. Some people say that door knocking is not a good idea anymore and that we shouldn't go to do it. And I'm looking at Shed Road, and I'm like, as much as I hear the wisdom in that, that sometimes door knocking, I'm like, well, that might be the only option we got to have to go make some of our neighbors. It might be that God is going to use something amongst us that he's not going to use amongst another congregation. It might be that a church in the city has to operate a certain way and that a church out here in the countryside has to operate a different way. Beloved, there needs to be some wisdom that God is using different means in different ways, different people in different means in different ways to achieve his purposes. But let it always be that we're achieving his purposes. In verse 10, they found their unity. In verse 10, it says, Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. That word for poor, it means beggarly. Whereas to be crouching down, to be beggarly, to be lowly, to be humble, I thought surely it just meant economic poverty. And then, of course, I wrote my notes. I said, well, maybe it's social poverty. Maybe it's economic poverty. Maybe it's, maybe it's mental poverty. Maybe it's a multitude of other things. And I submit to you that a lot of those might be. But, beloved, do you know what I think that they're trying to get out in verse 10? Is Yes, we need to be remembering those that are poor. Yes, we need to be remembering those that are beggarly. Yes, we need to be remembering those that are crouching down. Those are the ones that we seek to reach. 
I can't reach the prideful there. When they're built up in pride, when they're built up in arrogance, there's not much that I can do to reach them. But the faithful will proclaim the same gospel to them that I'm putting into the image. But do you know the people that you can do the most work with are the ones that are low? Look in the gospels at the ministry of Jesus. The people that he would go into were just trying to make a living. The people that he was going to were often these poor and these beggarly, these ones caught up in sinfulness, and a lot of them in work professions that none of us are supporting, better not be supporting. There's a lot of them that work in certain professions as they call themselves. And yet Jesus went to them and reached them. And they came to Jesus because they knew of his reputation. If we come to this with prideful arrogance, we're not going to reach anybody. That saying really is true, that you can reach more flies with honey than what you can with vinegar. Y'all, I'm convinced that we can reach more lost people with humbleness and gentleness and meekness and kindness. All of a sudden, I hear chapter 5 ringing out in my head. That's how we're going to reach the lost. Are we mindful of these things, even as Paul was already mindful of? They disagreed on some things. Peter, James, and John didn't understand everything about Paul. And if you already heard the reading of chapter 2 and the rest of it, Paul's about to get on to Peter for some of these things. Paul's about to correct Peter for some of the things that Peter's allowing to go on. There's still some correction that is going wrong, and that is not wrong. But, beloved, where they found unity was in their attitude. The attitude is one of the greatest problems we as the church have. I have to check myself living. Sometimes I just wake up with a bad attitude. I don't know myself. Might all be much better than me. Sometimes I just wake up with a bad attitude. Sometimes I'll taste the coffee the wrong way and I get a bad attitude then. And it has to be something that's fixed. And never forget, we found a picture of one of my old football coaches in high school. He looked at the picture and he said, Oh, my coffee must have tasted bad that day. That's a picture from 10 years earlier. And he looked at it and he felt guilty about it. Sometimes I look back at my past actions and I feel guilty about them because I conducted myself in the wrong way. It amazes me that I didn't see that at first. Then in verse 2, Paul is talking about his attitude and his approach. And then in verse 10, it, added, it ends with his attitude and his approach. On the Sermon on the Mount, the first sermon that we have record of Jesus giving, do you know what Jesus starts with? On the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of Every one of the Beatitudes is known for building upon itself. Still to this day, that's one of my favorite series we've ever gone through. Some of y'all suffered through it. I don't know how many sermons there were on the Sermon on the Mount, but I still look back to that fondly. If nothing else has changed and transformed my life, I'm gearing up again. Lord willing to look at the Sermon on the Mount again, not with you all, but with a different group. I'm looking at it again. I'm looking at the Sermon on the Mount again, and I'm so looking forward to it. And this week it amazed me. I was reading earlier this week, trying to prepare for it, and I was reading somebody's comments on it and then this morning it comes pouring back into me as I remember that even the poor in Galatians chapter chapter 2 verse 10 is the same thing that beloved we're supposed to have a poverty of spirit that if we've got pridefulness, arrogance within us it needs to die I've always been okay with some people and it's probably not right I grew up in the culture of wrestling to where everybody was arrogant I never met a wrestler hardly that was not arrogant except for one and he's now the head coach of the Brandon's High School Wrestling tell you that he might have some pride and arrogance but I've never seen it on the map. I've never seen it in his person. But he's a man that is on before people. That's the kind of leadership that we're looking for. That's the kind of leadership that we need. Well, I wrote it this way. I said the rightful relationship with others 
is on the basis of the purity of the gospel, not on their sphere of influence. That's very worrying. I don't like it. I'll give you something better next week. But it is. It doesn't matter who you can influence. Who you can influence is different than who I can influence. Who you can reach with the gospel is different than who I can reach with the gospel. Paul said, I became all things unto all people. Y'all, we've got to get to reaching the lost people. I don't know where they are. Mr. and I, we're trying to devise plans. We're like, all right, we need to go here, here, and there. We're about to get the map out and start drawing the map. Where do we need to go in order to reach the lost? Y'all know what's going to have to happen here at Shit Road if we're going to see things turn around? We're going to have to go reach the lost people. If God sends us some, what we call some low, low-hanging evangelical fruit, as Tom Rainer put it, and he sends us some people that are transferred from other churches that have grown dissatisfied, we're not trying to poach people. But if there's people not in service actively somewhere, we'll take them. If y'all know somebody that's not in actively attending church somewhere, tell them we'd love to have them. We'd love for them to come in. Don't poach them from another church. If they're happily attending somewhere else, leave them be. Leave them serve. But if you find somebody that's not, not going to church actively, invite them to come in. If you know somebody that's lost, invite them. Share the gospel with them. If you need help, there's small little tracks. We've passed them out here before that just shares the gospel. It has some helps on the other side. Get something to somebody that they may know the gospel. Beloved, we have to be about this. Paul was called to the Gentiles in order to proclaim the gospel. Peter, James, and John were called unto the Jews to proclaim the gospel. But the greatest thing about it is both of them were still proclaiming the gospel. Both of them were seeing souls saved. God's going to use some churches differently. That pastor friend that's preaching through Galatians as well, he's going to reach different people than what I'm going to reach. He's going to reach different people than what you and I are going to reach. Let us be mindful of these things. That we're not basing it on somebody. Do you look like me? Do you talk like me? Do you share the gospel the same exact way as I do? But let us make sure that there's purity in the gospel that we are proclaiming. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day again. We thank you for this passage of your word again. We pray that you graft it into us, that it will bear fruit. God, I pray that you put within every one of us that heart of the Give us an, an unrelenting relenting desire to see lost souls come to you and they we, we abandon them when we do see people convert and come to you in the faith of God that Father we faithfully follow Matthew chapter 28 that we would even teach them all things that you have commanded us about Father we know that you are with us in all things we thank you for these wonderful truths we pray you be with us God I pray that you work in us an humbleness of spirit a humility and a gentleness and a kindness and a love and a joy and a peace with others out about in this world that they would not see us but that they would ultimately see you and that they would even as they rejoice, not in Paul, but they rejoiced in you, O God. Father, we love you. We thank you. We ask all these things in thy Son, Jesus Christ, before we